0: You are listening to Sheep Might Fly, a podcast of serialised fiction written and read by Tansy Rayner-Robbins. I got an email this morning which told me that I had been doing this podcast for six years. So that's a thing. Uh, The podcast started as the second phase of my Patreon once I recovered from the exhaustion of writing the serialised novel Musketeer Space in less than two years. So Yeah. I've been doing this for a really long time. It came about because I wanted to write serialized stories. I wanted to write stories with the same characters that followed them through multiple ones. I wanted to write that lovely mix of short long, which usually starts out as a novelette and often ends up as a novella. And I'm really pleased with the stories that I have produced with this method. Having people even a small group of people, listen in every week or whenever they get around to listening to it on the podcast app. It is a sense of, it does bring me a sense of, I don't know, mild urgency to my writing. The idea that somebody's waiting for the next installment. And it's a big part of how I get my stories written because mild stress is a tool that I need to use on a regular basis. So thank you for listening. Some of you for six years. That's extraordinary. Uh, Yeah, I... Belladonna You is one of those series that I have been doing this way for some time. It's not necessarily coming to an end. I always felt like the third collection uh, was going to be a stopping point, after which coming back to the stories was definitely going to be a reunion slash time gap. Uh, they are all very thoroughly running out of university time. So there's that. Not that the stories all really centred around university anyway. Uh, yeah, so this isn't the last story of the third collection. But I think the last one is going to be very short. So this is the last big story. That puts some pressure on me <laughs> to bring some of the stories to something like a close. I guess, which is something to keep in mind because I haven't written the last four chapters yet. So uh, I don't know if that increases your expectation or makes you roll your eyes at me. But either way, I'm finishing the story. Uh, Not yet, though. We are only up to chapter eight. So this is the Year of Critical Role's chapter eight. The Year of Sage part one. January. Medea's cauldron is hopping for a Friday night and for once I'm not on stage. Or taking a break or worrying about my bloody drum kit. I'm at an overcrowded table near the bar, nursing a beer, feeling like shit. Hey, says Hebe, leaning into me so she can be heard over the sound of Null, the new the band that's taken over our old Friday night slot. Not sure what's going on there, it's a bit punk, a bit industrial, lots of deep breathing from the lead singer, not enough lyrics. At least you'll have more time for honours, I'm sure it's going to be a lot of work. For you too, I say back, because I'm an asshole. I'm like 95% sure he has quit uni and isn't telling us yet. She gives me an awkward smile, which makes me feel like 10 times more shit than before. A lot's going to change this year. Nah, I say, and drop my arm around her shoulders. More of the same. February. May, I don't have time to fall in love with another frickin' anime series. Classic last words. March. Professor Fordyce, with his leather jackets and rolled-up sleeves, is... Just as distractingly hot as ever. No, shut up, that's not why I picked him as an honour supervisor. There are three of us under him in Demthorne Fen this year. A big-eyed girl in glasses who just transferred from Nimoy University in the UK. And Janesh, who's been in half my classes since I first started at Belladonna U. I don't think we've ever talked to each other. This year we've upgraded to manly nods. So, three of us sprawled out in a seminar room designed for 15 to 30. That leaves plenty of space for Fordyce to stride around making one of his speeches. Bloke stepped up for us at New Year's. I've got a lot of time for him, but man, he likes his speeches. Magic is supposed to be dangerous, he says now, prowling around in front of us like he's trying to catch the attention of a lecture hall full of bored first years. I'm sure you're already thinking about your topics for the thesis that'll form a third of this year's final grade. Nope, inspiration has not yet hit. It's the first day, mate. Settle down. And I'm sure other professors would caution you to choose wisely. Consider areas of study with substantial grant support. Collaborate. Add something to a currently popular theory so as to prepare yourself for a well-funded master's or doctorate next year. A safe career move. Next year? It's barely even this year. I discreetly cast an eyeball in the direction of each of my fellow on-students. Ms Big Eyes is scribbling notes. Dinesh looks mildly suspicious. Or hungry. I'm never able to read him. However, Fordyce roars, building up to something. This is demonstrative thaumaturgical phenomena. There's no such thing as a safe field of study. We take risks, we experiment, we ask the questions of magic that no one else asks, and then we make it bend to our will. So Professor Fordyce is having a nervous breakdown, possibly the authorities should be called. But I've never been one for authorities. Plus, the crazy eyes look kind of suits him. Ask yourself, he continues, how can I change the field of magic? forever. Almost immediately he turns around writing names on the blackboard of paradigm-smashing witches and wizards of history. To inspire us, I guess. I ease my phone out of my pocket and chuck a text to May. Sage, when's the first session? I feel the need for some cake wizard's tomfoolery. May, this sat, you better be there. Planned your character yet? Sage, Dinkin' Pirate Captain. May, this is a hundred percent a land campaign. Sage, yes and? May, we'll make it work. April. So, this is a thing now, I say as Jules follows me upstairs after our latest Cake Wizard session. And kisses me again against the doorframe of our kitchen. Do you want it to be? Asks Jules, all lazy drawl and limbs. We used to fight more. We used to put up resistance. Somewhere along the way, this month, we got comfortable. You'd make a good boyfriend if you'd just let yourself, I hear Hebe telling me. Shut up and come to bed, says Jules, already on his way. And yeah, why the fuck not? May. You didn't have to come, says Ferd, looking sick as a dog. You know me. Any excuse to wear a suit? I'm not wearing a suit. I'm wearing my favourite Kraken T-shirt, the one I only managed to steal back from Vale because she left the country. It's deeply inappropriate for court, but I'm not the one who has to go on the witness stand. I am a witness. We were all witnesses to the fuckery that went down on New Year's Day. But Nightshade's mother has the world's sharkiest lawyer. He's basically made of gold-plated pinstripes. Blood diamonds running in his veins. You get the idea. He's expensive. The caviar lawyer didn't want any of us ratbag students harshing his vibe, so our testimony was pre-recorded, mounted on enchanted mirrors, and cross-charmed for Verity. The only witnesses to take the stand were the defendants themselves. Ferd's parents. It's the first time he's seen them since it all went down. Ferd doesn't need to be here. Jules sure as hell didn't come, and Vale is conveniently still far away in the land of chocolate croissants and hot Frenchmen. But for some reason, Ferd wants to be here, to witness the final scene of this colossal shit show. And I'd be ten kinds of asshole to let him come alone. The final speeches, shark lawyer against shark lawyer, are works of art. When the settlement is announced, I can't take my eyes off Irene Nightshade. She's perfectly still, perfectly poised, and I can feel the icy chill of her magic from all the way back here in the cheap seats. She smiles, very briefly, the tiniest tweak of her lipstick, like a satisfied vampire that has just finished eating the prettiest people in the room. She's terrifying in Victory. It's like a little glimpse of the future of what Jules might be like in twenty-five years' time. So, that's something to look forward to. June I need a job, Holly announces, throwing herself on my bed so it bounces several times. Jules groans and puts a pillow over his head. Somehow it works. He's fast asleep again before the bed even settles from Holly's extra weight. I blink at the too much light that Holly brought with her. She hasn't even opened the curtains. She's sort of glowing. She's been doing that a lot lately, since Juniper moved in downstairs. What the fuck hole? I groan. We could have been having sex. If you were, it wasn't with Jules. He's clearly asleep. So much perkiness in one body. How can she sleep at night? Oh, wait, it's 11.30pm and she's not asleep. Clearly I'm not getting to sleep either until I unpack whatever it is she's vibrating about. Spill. I need a job, I told you. I chucked in my soul-destroying job to write this album, and it's good, it's going well, I think. But I'm running out of ramen, and Juniper will never fall in love with me if I don't at the very least cover my part of the rent every month, so... So... what? You want suggestions? Yes! Yes! Jobs I can get that won't suck up all my album writing time. Couldn't you broomdash like May? Too late. I forget who I'm talking to. Holly needs to be kept away from broomsticks for the sake of the country. Broomsticks are for losers, she says airily. Next. Uh, admin, retail. Juniper has one of those admin jobs, and it takes her all day. And customer service jobs are so hard on the feet. Plus, I always get fired from them after, like, three weeks. There's so much paperwork. I tried asking around a bunch of the local places anyway, but this is a university district. All the stupid students have sucked up all the shifts. Can't you get me a job wherever you work? I wait a bit. Oh, where do you think I work? She waits too, crumpling her nose. Huh? Wait, no. What? Isn't it like a... Cool giant record store that sells vintage vinyl? No, that's a movie you're thinking of, from the 90s, before you are born. Bartender, barista, high court judge, gym instructor, underwear model? Yeah, remember how I sold a song to Kraken last year, and it did really well? Holly's mouth falls open. She's like a cartoon dance emoji, indicating awe and shock. You're still living off that? it was a good song. Did well. You know there's money in music sometimes? What the fuck, Sage? How did I not know this? Shouldn't you be saving it for your old age? I shrug. Thought it was worth doing the full-time student thing this year. Honours and all. Plus, I thought I'd need more time for Fake Geek Girl. If we ever get back to rehearsing, you'll be glad I'm not spending 40 hours a week on a construction site. Holly considers this. Could I work construction? Not safely, probably. Are you writing more songs for Kraken? I've got like three in the pipeline. It'll probably never happen again. Holly looks outraged. They can't have your songs, Sage. We have an album to put together. Those could be our zillions. Will my songs even fit on the new album? They're not about cryptids or pretty girls who play cellos. I'm going job hunting now, she says, flouncing off the bed. Good. Bye. Or maybe I'll just sell a kick-ass song to a band with a higher profile than ours. We haven't updated our YouTube page in months, Hol. Every band has a higher profile than ours. July. Holly is fire. My magic fills her shape, burning for an infinite moment. There's a buzzing sound and the flame falters, dies out. We're both standing ankle-deep in the ornamental lake on the Belladonna U campus, back to reality. Holly slides her hand mirror out of her pocket. Oh, it's Juniper! She left some work shit at home, it's urgent. May is out broom-dashing. Can we come back to this later? I can feel it. The shape of the spell. Burning under my fingernails, I so almost have it right. This is the spell I need to complete my thesis, to finally prove... Jules is at home. Hang on. I call him quickly, pass on Juniper's urgent request. One more time. Well, fine, Holly sighs, but at least take a pic. Me on fire would look amazing on our next album cover. August. Vale. Sage, a rare sighting of Vale. Vale, postgrad student, a few months from thesis submission. Where else? The library. She looks busy and frazzled, and she's about to pass by. Wait, please, for a minute. Sage, I don't have time to talk about Jules or Chauve or whatever's going on in that chaos house of yours. I need to talk about Pandora. That makes her pause. Vale's been working on her own thesis about the mythical origins of magic for as long as I've known her. Practical mythology, as an academic subject, basically means show your work and go back really far. Buy me a chocolate and I'll give you 15 minutes, she says, then disappears into the stacks. Chocolate. I can do chocolate. Thanks for listening to Sheep Might Fly now and at any point over the last six years. You can sign up to my author newsletter for updates. Follow me on Twitter at TansyRR or at Sheep Might Fly. Follow me on Facebook at TansyRR Books. And if you like this podcast, consider supporting me at Patreon, where you can receive all kinds of cool rewards, (laughs) early ebooks, and exclusive stories for a small monthly pledge. See you next week for The Year of Sage Part 2.